What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. The Hale Varsity Radio Saturday Morning Show, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Strap yourselves in. Here are your hosts, Chris Schmitz. Y'all don't even know he was a virgin until he's 28, and now, roll tide. And Mark Cranach. Time has come for someone to put his foot down. And that foot is me. Hail Varsity Radio, Saturday morning edition. Nice to have you alongside. My name is Mark Cranach, and I am in Omaha, and we are joined by Elijah Herbal. Herbal, 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 Herbal. Hard H. Is it hard H? Or I, I ask you this all the time, but it throws me off every time. Yeah, it's, it's the hard H. It's 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 my it's, it's my uh, it's my Twitter handle that throws everybody off. I'll give because it's, it's, exactly yeah because Twitter the, handle the brand at, right. Twitter handle at Herbal Essences, no connection to that company though, right? Like, well, I'm trying to I'm trying to secure a sponsorship someday. Okay, good luck with that. I hope that works out for you. <laughs> um, Chris is doing uh, dad things. He's in uh, Western Nebraska somewhere watching his boy play baseball, um, and so we are going to fill in for him. And who's on the controls today? Oh, it's me. It's Elijah Herbal. Oh, you're you're doing both. Oh, I'm pulling double duty. Yeah. Look at this guy once again. Once again, the multi-talented Elijah Herbal. Um, and we got a loaded show today. A lot to get to, especially with the playoff talk, which, Elijah, I'm sure you spend a good part of your week talking about that. Oh, yeah. Um, but guess what? You're going to spend a good part of your weekend talking about it, too. <laughs> uh, because, you know, it's a, it's a pretty substantial move, so we'll get into that. Recruiting has really taken off this week as as well with in, in football with a lot of visitors. You know, after more than a year of not being able to have anybody on campus, uh, Nebraska's welcomed dozens of uh, potential potential scholarship signees for private workouts, for Friday Night Lights, for seven on seven camps. I mean, the place is absolutely buzzing right now. So a lot of movement there. And of course, the basketball program doing the same. And of course, if few days ago, I guess go back to Monday, Nebraska baseball team wrapped up so we can uh, get into some of that. We will have Mitch Sherman of The Athletic at the top of the hour, pinch hitting for Brandon Vogel in his usual Saturday morning spot. And of course, we will have Gary Sharp, uh, the Iron Horse, at the bottom of the next hour as well. And then the rewind today, Elijah... It's going it to be with Nebraska pitching coach Jeff Christie. We talked with him yesterday, and uh, it's a little two-part interview. We're condensing it down into one, bringing it back on a Saturday morning. Great interview with uh, with Jeff Christie yesterday. That's the rewind. Uh, 7.35 is the rewind time today. I just love the fact, by the way, that a lot of Nebraska staff are former players, and players during some of the glory years, Will Bolt, Jeff Christie among them. Um, and, boy, he... He had his work cut out for him over this past week, uh, especially down in Arkansas with, you know, a, a bullpen that just wasn't tested. They, they just weren't. You know, you didn't have you didn't have the benefit of the of the midweek series this year. So you didn't really know what you had depth wise. Um, but Nebraska battled battled through it and acquitted themselves uh, quite well, um, falling to Arkansas in the in the regional final on Monday. But I, I want to start with the with the playoffs 
And now it was announced. This isn't official, but it seems like it's all but official. Fair way to characterize it. You think, Elijah? I mean, it seems like it's sort of a the, the committee that that looks at these sort of the, the college football playoff committee after saying pretty recently that they were not looking to expand beyond the four teams. Lo and behold, comes out and says, eh, let's go 12. And of course, that has to get ratified. It has to get approved. There's like a, a commission of sorts within that college football playoff committee that for the most part just rubber stamps whatever the committee recommends. So the likelihood of a 12-team playoff is very high, and it would not start this year. It won't start next year. 2023 looks like the year that it would happen uh, if it does. 12 teams. I want to start there. Um, that That's sort of a different cut of the numbers. I think you automatically just think 8 or 16. But they go 12 which would essentially give the top four seeds a bye while the other eight duke it out to face the top four seeds. Just want to start there, Elijah. Uh, Your thoughts, were you surprised, pleasantly or otherwise, one, that it even happened, and two, that they chose the 12-team format? I mean, I'll say first, I'm not surprised that they're expanding the college football playoff. Not one bit. I think the writing's been on the wall since like year two of the college football playoff that people have wanted more teams because from the start, the the whole goal was let's get a little more inclusion in this. Uh, Let's get a couple more teams just so we don't have people saying, oh, well, we should have been in the BCS national title game. And then like, was I think it was TCU, like the first or second year the college football playoff was ever in existence, uh, got left at five. And they didn't make it into the college football playoff. And people were up in arms saying, well, man, I thought the college football playoff was supposed to fix this. Um, so I think ever since like that moment and even since then with other teams getting snubbed, UCF, uh, Cincinnati last year, I wouldn't really call that a snub. But you kind of you kind of get what I'm saying. These teams that feel like they should have a shot in a postseason with a chance to win a national title game aren't able to get into the playoff. And it's the only college sport that's like that, really, with all this 64 team fields you see everywhere else. Uh, that it, it seemed like college football was the weird exception to the rule of the college football, or sorry, the uh, the college postseason. Uh, so I don't think I'm surprised it all expanded to 12. Uh, that was not a number I heard floated around at all. It seemed like the two numbers you heard were six and eight. Um, I guess they, 16 and eight. Right. Six, 16 and eight. And, and some people saying six as well. Um, but 12. That's dumb too. 12, I think they're trying to hit the best of both worlds between the eight and the 16. Uh, I personally really like that you're able to give the top four seeds a bye week. Uh, I know some people don't like that. I think that's awesome. I think if you are one of the top four teams in the country, I think you do deserve a week off before you uh, before you go start your postseason play. That's a huge leg up whenever you're not playing some of the top teams in the country week after week after week after week because that's gonna that's gonna be a grind for the, the Notre Dame's of the world uh, that aren't gonna get a first round bye. Uh, and I also love that the as of right now the first round of the college football playoff will be at teams' home sites. Uh, so I think that's right. going to add another interesting dynamic. I really don't think uh, you need to add more of these games to bowl games whenever bowl games are already having trouble selling seats. Um, I think the most important thing here is to get a good home environment. I think that's why you're why if you don't get a bye week, if you're a higher seed, I think you should get an advantage on the other team. Say the 12 seed against the uh, the five seed. I think the five seed should be getting an advantage to so go put it on their home campus. Um, so. While it's not perfect, I don't think there's ever going to be a perfect postseason system, and I think this is a, a good step in the right direction. 
Now, if you're not one of the top four seeds, you think about the extra just a sheer amount of games you can end up playing. Oh, you're playing an NFL schedule. If you start in the round one and advance to the national title game, that's a 17 game season. If yeah, you're playing you four. play a conference title game too. Yeah, yeah, you're playing four to get there. If you're if you're not one of the top four seeds, you have your play in game, then you'll go on to the the final four, then the uh, the the kind of playoff from from there, right? So, so it, would it be four games? I'm just trying to f- figure out the math here. That's, yeah, so that's, if you, if you have to play in the first round, it'd be four games, uh, and then if you're a team that had lost in its conference title game, that's now five games after the after the regular season. So you, if you go say eleven and one in the regular season, lose your conference title game, you're eleven and two, and you make it in the college football playoff, then you got to go win four. So you'd end your Jeez. season at fifteen and two if you're to go win the national title game. That's a brutal college schedule. That really is, and you wonder what the implications will be there, especially in the era of name, image, likeness, and player safety, and all those sorts of things. It's a it's a major change, and it'll it'll obviously have ramifications on bowls, you know, which. I think we all understand have jumped the shark. I mean, there's like 42 bowl games. Like, think about that. <laughs> like 65% of teams get to a bowl game, you know? So look, that that's going to just, obviously I think there's going to be bowls that fold and the overall number of bowl games will be reduced. Um, but then just the, the interest level in those bowls will start to wane again. As you think about player safety and people getting ready for the draft there, there was already this recent trend about people opting out of bowl games for safety um, ju- just to prevent injuries so that they can, you know, keep their NFL draft prospects alive. Um, and if you're not one of those final 12 and then you got this random like blue bonnet bowl game in December and you're a player of any repute that might get drafted, not a ton of incentive to play that. So you know, the ramifications on the bowl structure as we know it will definitely take a hit. Um, here's the other part that I was trying to – that I haven't quite figured out. Maybe I just didn't read the right things. But they were saying the top six the, – the, the six conference champions. Mm-hmm. So presumably five of those are the – you know, is, is the uh, power five, of course. But the sixth one, is that just like the top-ranked – group of five conference champion that that would be the goal i think it's just they're going off the top five so they're taking like the top 25 if you're a conference champion they're just gonna take the top five of those so it could be four power five schools and two group of five say the pac-12 has a terrible year the big 12 has a terrible year so it's the highest ranked conference champions get six spots yes so you would assume that that's the top five power fives plus a group of five but you could have a weird year where it's four power fives and say two group of five say it's uh you got the like uh, if the pac-12 was a bunch of eight and four teams like if coastal carolina and byu didn't play each other last year at the end of the year and they're both got a a shot and they're i mean who won the pac-12 last year oregon i mean I think yeah, it was I Oregon, so. I, and I want to say that at least either one of Coastal Carolina and BYU were, was ranked ahead of them, if not both, uh, before they yeah. played each other at the end of the year. So you could have a weird season like that where it's two group of five teams, but presumably, yes, power five and now, group of five. Now, now, I think what this is going to do to recruiting, I think this is the one way, the only way, because the way things have, have transpired up until now is that the, these hegemons, Bama, Clemson, Ohio State, um, throwing an LSU. They have been able to consolidate power because they could go out on the recruiting trail and realistically say, 
yo, we're going to be in the playoffs. All right, do you want to be in the playoffs or not be in the playoffs? Recruit, right? They, they've been able to sell that. And because of that, they've been able to consolidate even more talent. And it's, it, it's, it's tipped the scales in their favor. I know there's some chicken or the egg stuff going on there. But the fact that you're now, now adding eight more teams, that's a different pitch. That's going to be different for Clemson, for Bama, for Ohio State, to a degree Oklahoma or, or an LSU. Because there's now eight other teams that are going to have a spot. Whereas before, you couldn't realistically say that. You could say that's your goal, but players know. Every time they tune into the playoffs, it's Bama, it's Clemson, it's Oklahoma, it's Ohio State, right? Maybe you got another team sneaking in there. And so it's like a self-fulfilling thing where they can just keep going out and just being like, yeah, we're going to be in the playoffs. So all the top players want to go there. Well, now you can go out there and say, hey, we, we, we got a shot. And I, I think this will have longer-term implications on the consolidation of talent of talent acquisition that those bigger teams that I just mentioned have enjoyed for so long. I don't know how soon that happens though. And um, Elijah, I want to see if you agree with that. Like, do you think that this move alone can help to spread out and even out the talent, which is really consolidated just to a handful of teams, especially in recent years? Oh, there's almost no doubt in my mind. Um, not immediately. I don't think you're going to come, say, 2024 and say, oh, wow, well, I'm glad the talent's so much better dispersed in college football. But come, say, 2028, 2030, whenever you start getting teams that can say, go to recruit and say, hey, we can make the college football playoff. All we need to do is make it to the conference title game. And, and I mean, I guess you have to win it. But if, if Nebraska is 11-1 and playing in the conference title game and they were to lose to, say, an Ohio State, I could see Nebraska still make it into the college football playoff. So you don't have to go to a Bama or a Clemson for that guarantee you're going to make it into the college football playoff and be playing on the biggest stage. I mean, that's what these guys want, these five-star recruits. They want to get their name out there and they want people to see them in the college football playoff. And if you're going to, say, Nebraska, Iowa... Wisconsin, uh, Tennessee, all, all these other powers, it's 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 less likely, if not borderline an impossibility that you're going to play in, in the college football playoff just because with only four teams, you know you got to save a spot for Clemson, Alabama, and Ohio State. So there's room <laughs> for one team to make it in. So yeah. the way it is now, if you were going to want to make a college if you want to go make a college football playoff, you need to get really lucky with your choice if it's not Alabama, Clemson, or Ohio State. And if it's yeah. not one of those three, it better be Georgia, Notre Dame, or Oklahoma. Um, right. Those, those are the schools you're going to. So with 12 in the playoff, all you got to do is go make it to your conference title game and win it most likely, and you still got a shot even if you lose it. So yeah. all you got to do, I mean, just win your division, and you can make the college football playoff. And if I'm a player, I'm seeing that, and I'm going, okay, if I don't need to go to Bama or Clemson, I'm, I'm going to go to my home state school, and I'm going to lead them to the college football playoff because – you're still going to be on the biggest stage. So uh, I see it working eventually. Uh, at least I'm crossing my fingers that way. I'm tired of seeing the same four teams in the college football playoff every single year, just like I think everybody is. Uh, so, yeah, at, at the end of the day, I'm all for it. I mean, simply for the fact that I think it's a step in the right direction, even if it doesn't solve all the issues in college football, is you can see the the college football powers getting together and being like, okay, we need to fix something because the system we got right now is broken. Yeah. And the this, this system, and it's, it's, you know, a lot of times decisions will be made and 
you know, there's sort of unintended consequences of those decisions. I I don't think when the four-team playoff came out, um, I don't think people realized just how much the top end would consolidate talent and break away from the rest. But that's what happened. It's just what happened. And you think about the timing of this, too. So not only are you going to open this up to 12, so eight teams that otherwise wouldn't have a shot have a chance to get in. This is going to kick off in and around the time, I think we can speculate anyways, that Alabama may have a coaching change by then, right? Like, Nick Saban is not a spring chicken. Um, He's achieved quite a bit. You wouldn't think he's going to be in this thing for another five years. I mean, he may. Certainly possible. He's got a machine going. Well, he, I mean, he just he, signed that contract extension, I think, which puts him as Alabama coach until 2025. And you got to assume that's kind of, I mean, he'll be 78 or 77 by the time the contract expires. So you got to think it's a, a last contract type of thing. Because, I mean, I don't know about you, Mark, but when I'm 77, I want to be retired and kick my feet up. And I, I'm not Nick Saban. Nick Saban's a different animal completely. But, I mean, at 80 years old, do you think Nick Saban really wants to still be coaching football whenever he could sit on his millions, kick his feet up, you know, go to South America and go sit on a beach anytime he wants? Like, maybe yeah. that maybe that's not Nick Saban. Maybe that's not what his life goal is. But I know personally for me, if I'm 77 and I'm still working, like, I have gone awry in life. Like, I want to be retired by then. <laughs> yeah, like, get to Shoney's, man. Have a Grand Slam. Have a, <laughs> you know, get your get your early bird special, Nick. Calm down. We don't need you to keep pulverizing the college football world. But so anyway, it's a lot of there, these. Now, this is also going to be around the time. If, if you think about it. So this kicks off in 2023. The announcement's made today. It'll get sort of ratified in the summer and made official. And when I say in the summer, I mean like next week <laughs> is, is, is when the uh, is when it'll get presented to. I can't even think of what the commission's name is, but there's a, a commission that will basically rubber stamp it. The, uh, the NCAA Oversight Committee, I believe. There, or something like that, something right? Like that. Yeah, whatever. Some some bureaucratic whatever is going to either rubber stamp it or nix it. But all signs point to rubber stamp. So then it becomes official. Now you think of some of the broader things that are going to be happening in and around that time. If indeed this kicks off in 2023, that's not a certainty, but that would be like the earliest it would happen. By then, also Nebraska's sparkling new facility will be an actual thing. They've broken ground on it now. They've, they're trying to accelerate construction to get it into existence. Probably around 2023 is when that thing will be an actual thing, which will pretty quickly vault Nebraska into one of the top spots in the facilities race. Right? So you're going to have that going on. You're going to have Nick Saban kind of, you know, towards the end of his run. Um Maybe he goes through 2025 as the contract states, but, you know, we're, he's going to be coming towards the end of his run. By then, Ryan Day's entire team at Ohio State will be fully his. And I'm not saying that, that you count the guy out. I'm just saying I, I don't necessarily, uh, you know, he, he has to do this for a number of years in order for us to say that, oh, no, he's got staying power. This thing is legit. We just don't know yet. Right. He inherited a pretty well-oiled machine from Urban Meyer and he's done a good job of keeping it going, no question about it. But by then, the ghost of Urban Meyer will be long gone. So there's all these things. Nebraska's facility, Bama and Ohio State maybe with a few questions. It, 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 open, it, it makes it possible, if Nebraska makes the, the right moves now, to legitimately put themselves in that conversation. Now, 
it would help if you have a season above 500. Uh, let's start there. I understand that. Uh, but it really does shape up nice. It's good timing. <laughs> it is very good timing for a school like Nebraska. Because, look, they haven't shared the updated renderings. But the way they're talking about it, they're just saying there's literally nothing like it. Like the facilities that, that Nebraska is building right now has some features that apparently are going to be pretty mind-blowing and be really attractive to a lot of the top recruits, and it'll be a hell, hell of a training ground. We don't know what those details are yet, but that's what they're saying. So it sets up nice for Nebraska. Could this, will this be the resurgence? Is this the restoration of order? Will Nebraska be relevant again, Elijah? That's basically what I'm asking. Is this going to happen? And are these, are these external factors all coalescing at the right time? And uh, will we be talking about a winning football team that's going to the playoffs? I just want I just want to know that. That's really all I all I want. I mean, I, I'm crossing my fingers, but at the same time, I, I'm looking at what the Husker baseball team is doing, what the Husker basketball team is going, and I'm looking like, I mean, just being realistic, I'm looking at the football team. And I'm going, you're not making the progress that these other new hires are making. Uh, so it's it's put up or shut up time for for Scott Frost and the rest of the football team. But this year, I know it's a hard schedule and whatnot, but. I mean, it's it's year four. Uh, I know you don't have the new facility. I know that the team didn't build exactly how you, you thought it would build in the first four years. Um, but at the end of the day, none of that matters. All that matters is the wins and the losses. Uh, so I, I think it's time. You've got the best talent that Scott Frost has ever had at Nebraska at this point. So I think you got to start building that momentum now. If, it, if it's not a 500-plus a season, I, I know we're not talking about Scott Frost on the hot seat now, but if he misses a bowl game again, I think it could be Scott Frost on the hot seat next offseason. That's a little far ahead but I mean just com- compared to the job Will Bolt has done I mean once you saw that NC State Arkansas game last night you go oh maybe Will Bolt had actually built a college world series caliber team this year yeah yeah well and you look at the way the roster is now constructed for Nebraska scholarship distribution chart as uh, David Alston who was a pretty highly touted recruit out of Minnesota but literally has never played a snap for Nebraska decides to move on updated scholarship distribution chart 52 of Nebraska's 85 scholarship players, 52 of 85, are freshmen or redshirt freshmen. That, um, that's crazy. There, think about that. There's sophomore, junior, senior. There's three other classes, but 52 of your 85 are that. Now, can you hold? And as an example, out of the offensive linemen on the roster, there are 14. 10 of them are freshmen or redshirt freshmen, right? So you hold on to a good bulk of those guys and you keep developing them. Again, think about the timing of in and around 2023. All of a sudden, those guys are juniors. They're seniors. They've gotten playing time. They've got years of experience. Like Things are shaping up if Nebraska can get out of their own way. And uh, and put together, you know, get out of their own way and put together a, a, a product, a complete product. They've kept it close for the most part um, over the last year outside of, you know, hand, a couple of games. Illinois was what the hell was that? <laughs> Ohio State, obviously, score got away. But other than that, Nebraska's they're they're, they're not that far away. <laughs> it's not like they're getting just run off the field and embarrassed by terrible teams. So so what is so I don't mean to interrupt, but what what is your criteria for a successful season next year i know we only have a few minutes left here so we can't get too into the woods but i mean i'm for me just i'm getting tired of these embarrassing losses just keep all the games close beat the teams that really you look better than on paper and uh let the chips fall as they may and i think i'll be happy 
I think you have to get one quality win, right? Like okay. one. So I agree. Beat the teams you're supposed to beat that you're sort of ranked higher than that you've recruited better than blah, blah, blah. But between Iowa, Wisconsin, Ohio State, Oklahoma, even Michigan, even though Michigan's supposedly down. Will you put Northwestern in there, too? <sighs> yeah, sort of. Uh, I, but I think historically that one's just kind of back and forth mm-hmm. and Northwestern is what they are. Uh, but, but I think really it's between Iowa, Ohio State, Wisconsin. You got to beat one of those guys. Beat one of them. At least. If you beat all three, I mean, come on, set up the parade. Um, but beat one of those teams, hold court at home, beat the teams you're supposed to beat. And that should amount to seven, eight, nine wins. But you, you need that. Nebraska hasn't beaten like a super quality team since Scott Frost has been here. It just hasn't happened yet. I, I think that's a pretty critical next step. What say you? I mean, yeah, they, they've taken some some big teams down to the wire, but still waiting for that win. Yep. All right. Um, God, I thought we were going to get into baseball and basketball, but we could not um, because of the playoff, and that's fine. Coming up next, though, on the Rewind, Jeff Christie, uh, Nebraska pitching coach. We'll get into baseball and that great run that Will Bolt and company have uh, just completed on Monday. Step aside, Hill Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Now back with Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery, with Chris Schmidt and Mark Cranach. Back into it, it's Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Husker baseball, an incredible season, and uh, excited to get caught up with a friend of the show, uh, Lincoln Southeast to Nebraska and uh, back as uh, an assistant uh, for Coach Bolt, pitching and catchers, and what a job that staff did. Jeff Christie back with us. Coach, uh, congratulations on the success on the season. Thanks for taking a few minutes today. How are you doing? Uh, I appreciate it. I'm doing well. That was that was a fun run with those guys, and um, you know it's you know looking forward to the future as well, and. Just hopefully, people are excited about the brand of baseball we played this year. No, oh, I, I, well, J- Coach Jeff Christie with us. Coach, you had to, you guys had to feel the buzz, didn't you? You had to feel the excitement uh, with what the baseball team did this year, didn't you? I mean, it had to hit, didn't it? Yeah, we did, and it was you know one of those crazy years where you know sometimes you weren't able to even have any fans in the stands besides your family and friends, and you know finally they opened up, but. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just feeling the buzz from the just being around town and you know the neighborhoods and you know just the 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 people just you know talking about it was the coolest thing and that's what we wanted and you know I think that had a lot to do with how we played and obviously winning takes care of a lot of that but um, more than anything we just wanted to come in and kind of create the the culture of how we wanted to play and uh, you kind of saw what that looks like when when all guys are pulling on the same end. Jeff Christie's with us, Hale Varsity Radio. Coach, uh, let's kind of go back to, and I think last time we talked, you you were just kind of getting added to the staff, and now let's fast forward. What were you guys able to, to do? And, and the, just the mindset of this coaching staff is, is brilliant, and the kids have bought into it. But how are you able to navigate – not even a half of a season last year before the shutdown and then kind of examine things and then 
kind of go full bore into into this season. Take me through that process. Yeah, you know, the 2020 season was not exactly, you know, what everybody, you know, you what you want. Um, you know, just from being shut down, you know, guys getting 15 games in and not knowing what's going to be in the future for people, what's going to be in the future for really anything at that point in time. So it was kind of a nerve-wracking time. But what we did as a staff is we just kind of sat down and, um, looked at our roster, looked at the things we needed to do and from a recruiting standpoint and kind of fill some gaps very quickly. And, um, you know, we took, we took advantage of the time to examine the roster and still recruit, even though we weren't be able to go out. We still had some guys that we, we knew about and had seen in the past. And, um, you know, we just kind of felt like we needed to add the right pieces and it, and it worked out this year. So, that was the biggest thing, and then getting the guys on campus and getting the right guys to to come in and 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 play the brand of baseball we want was was very key. And I have a lot to, that has a lot to do with those upperclassmen and how um, they took on the new coaching staff and just really believed in what we were doing and and really just kind of guided everybody from from the beginning and got everybody on the same page. And you know, so a lot of credit goes to those guys. Mm. Um, and the the senior group and those team captains that really took on the the persona of what we're trying to do. Oscar assistant with us, Jeff Christie with us on Hale Varsity Radio. So, t- why do you think that the connection happened, or why was it able to be such a a good match? You mentioned that upperclassman, that senior group. Uh, you know, it, it's a new staff, but maybe not super unfamiliar with with Will and with yourself. Obviously, being around the program. But a lot of times that doesn't happen, not just in baseball, but other sports where there's a disconnect or it takes a little longer to connect with new coaches uh, and, and, a, and a locker room. Yeah, I think it was just those guys were – everybody here was very accepting of, you know, what we were trying to do and the, the message we brought. And, um, you know, just kids as competitors too and wanting to win and um, – that's just kind of it, it can be tough at times there but just the exception the accepting us and just kind of you know jumping all into what we were trying to do is was the biggest thing and there wasn't anybody just kind of hanging on the side just wondering what what we were doing or what was what was happening it was just more of a mindset of our guys and like i said those upperclassmen got mm-hmm. to the point where when they when they were jumping <laughs> into the deep end with us everybody else followed so i think that was the biggest key is to get those guys on, on the same page there. And, and it didn't take long, um, really. I mean, it's just, it was a matter of getting to know the guys and showing that we, you know, what, what our plan was and what we wanted to do. And that was, that was kind of what happened. So it was, it was a big step for those guys to do that. And like I said, everybody else just kind of followed in line. Jeff Christie's with us, Hale Varsity Radio. There's a difference between getting hot and being good. And if you're good, you can get hot. If you're, okay and you get hot you may swing swing uh over you know for the fences and and connect you guys were good when did you know you were really good um so we got we had a full fall in some schools maybe weren't able to get that in you know we still had our six weeks of of normal fall practice and it was just a little bit different but toward the end of the fall where you started to see things start to come together from the scrimmage standpoint and uh, what we had maybe on the mound and offensively what we were trying to do. Uh, so I would say toward the end of the fall, 
when that was getting done, I was like, yeah, we looked at each other's staff. Like, I think we had a shot to be pretty good. And um, I think what you, what our guys felt too was the same thing. They, they knew it from each other. So that goes a long way too. When you're, when your team knows you're good and has, has belief in themselves and that's what they did. And um, it just kind of started, started right away in that first week. And even though we lost that first game of the year, um, our guys, what we preached all year is just show up when you, you know, when you have that, that ability to show up every day with with quality talent and um, that that mindset that we're going to show up every day, you kind of see how our guys fought back every day and never thought they were out of any game. When it comes to, to toughness, a lot of compliments have been handed out. Uh, Dave Van Horn spent a lot of time after the series talking about just how you guys were better than tougher than everybody else, and, and he was pretty wild. Not surprised necessarily, but just just giving you credit mm-hmm. talk to that mental toughness I know you have it I know Will Bold has it I know your staff has it your kids obviously have it but instilling that mental toughness is it is it something you see in a kid is is early on in the recruiting process or is it something that gets gets adapted once they get to Husker baseball yeah, I think that's something that you definitely look at on the recruiting process um, on that side of it. You know, just how they how they respond to things, how they deal with adversity in a game. It's, it's great to go watch kids play and have success, but we also want to see kids fail and how they how they respond to that. But you know, the truth of it is, is a lot of times you guys don't fail a ton at the level of of, of high school when they're a, when they're a great player there, and that obviously gets their foot in the door. So. You know, the fall, especially early for kids, can be the, one of those times where, you know, the adversity might hit a little bit harder than they've ever experienced it before. And that's the fall for us is a big time to, you know, set that standard to of, of how you're going to rebound. And, and I told you there before a little bit about the message of just showing up. That's all we're ever going to ask from guys is to make sure that they show up every day. And if they can keep putting their best foot forward and with the best competitive mindset and best competitive edge for themselves it's going to usually take care of itself so even with you're in a slump if you're doing great all we ask of those guys is to show up with their best competitive mindset and um no matter what's happened i think that's that's uh that was a big benefit for our guys this year because they actually did it and they believed it and you know no matter it was going great whether it was going bad you know guys just kept showing up and when you do that consistently you stay even keel and you stay level-headed and it, you're not riding those roller coasters of emotions and it's able to so it allows you to be able to play a lot better consistently that's human nature to to bounce on that roller coaster yep. it just is but to, to be even keels the key and and i think your kids were so fantastic at it jeff christie's with us hail varsity radio uh, what what did you take away when we look at your pitching and uh defense and even behind the plate you had to be proud but still wanting more obviously against Arkansas but what was the takeaway from the regional this year yeah I mean obviously as the competitor inside you and anybody you want to you want to win a national championship and that was and that's always going to be our goal and um, to come up short there was a little bit disappointing you know we felt like we had some opportunities just didn't happen for us there at the end Um, but I, I was very proud of the way our guys competed how they showed up uh didn't didn't take the moment and make it bigger than what it was uh you know, we came into a environment there that was a lot different than what we've been experiencing all year, except maybe at home. But when you're at home, <laughs> the fans are for you <laughs> and not against you, I guess. So, uh, you know, we took the, the, the guys took on the mindset of, you know, the don't care mindset that whole year. And it just kind of really 
translated into the regional as well. But from from a defensive standpoint, we played excellent defense for the majority of the year. I think, you know, pitching standpoint, our our biggest goal was to you know lead the lead the country or the conference in least amount of walks, and we accomplished that you know, moving into the regional. And when you do that, when you have a defense and you throw the ball over the plate, um, usually good things happen. Um, and and that was kind of the biggest biggest thing that we were focusing on. It wasn't too big. It wasn't too you know. There is just the, that singular focus of let's pound the strike zone, let's let our defense play, and we we did a pretty good job of that. And you know, behind the plate, we had guys that really really stepped in with 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 Griffin and 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 Luke back there. You know, Luke and, and Roach played a big part with each other, um, just getting on the same page with a lot of things. And and Griffin really took the next step of connecting with the staff and really kind of leading that staff and being that, that guy back there that they just trust to throw the ball to. And, and that's huge for pitchers as well, when they know they can throw anywhere they want to and they're going to keep the ball in front and get strike calls for them. When, when you're scouting Arkansas and telling your guys, all right, here is the, the report, they're able to do a lot of things with power, you know, they're really good with two outs and two strikes, I mean, they're the number one team. How exciting and, and or difficult was that scouting report that, that – that mission you had to, to give your guys the best info because I thought your guys threw really well. Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing for us was to to stay the same and and do what we've done all year um, and and don't make it bigger than it is and and we we did that for the most part. Um, but with guys that have a lot of power, the emphasis and we've done it all year is, is when guys can you know hit the ball out of the yard, you have to be able to get inside and trust your fastball in. So. The biggest thing there was to establish the fastball inside. A lot of times, especially those right-handed hitters that they had, and I think you saw that more often than not. And then try to expand away. You just don't want to get those guys extended to get the ball in the air. So it's kind of one of those things where you flirting with it a little bit. If you leave it over the middle of the plate, they can do some damage. But you have to be sold out on making sure that those those pitches inside are where you need them to be, and you can't be scared to go in there. So. That was one of the messages we had, and then to be able to to uh, call cross count, to be able to throw your off speed stuff in fastball counts, and for the most part, we were we were able to do that. And um, you know, I just thought our mindset from our guys was was, was great that nobody backed down, and um, that's the reason why they were able to execute some of the pitches that they did. Jeff Christie with us, Hale Varsity Radio assistant for Nebraska pitching coach in charge of catchers. Wonderful. Uh, season by the Big Red. Uh, Jeff, couple of minutes co- here, Coach, on, on some of your guys on the Hill. Uh, what can you say about uh, about Schwelly, Spencer Schwellenbach? I, I know what his prospects are, but just how, how dynamite he's been for you and just to see a guy that can be that versatile. I mean, for, for what he did for us, I mean, you're not going to see too many guys across the country that do that. And, you know, not pitching in what a two and a half years and, and picking up the ball this fall and getting I think he only got four innings on the fall just wanted to see how it was and we hadn't seen a ton of it and he picks up the baseball and gets on the mound to go in our first scrimmage and you know he was up to 97 with three pitches in one inning and it was like <laughs> okay this is real right now he's, he's he's good he's good to go and um when you handed the ball over to him everybody on our dugout was like they knew the game was over and that's a great feeling to have so uh, the confidence of the team, confidence of, of himself, of just taking the baseball and, and making sure that game was over. And you saw him extend it toward the end. So I think the future is very bright for him in whatever direction he goes. But just speaking from the pitching side, that's what we're talking about there is 
I think the sky's the limit for him, and um, I would expect him to do very well, you know, at the next level on the mound. You uh, also have a guy like uh, Cade Povich that that really uh, did incredible work for you. You're also going to lose some guys due to eligibility. There's still some things up in the air just from a from a return or let's see where the draft goes. But uh, overall, how pleased were you with your pitching staff? And uh, I also kind of get a sense you're a perfectionist. So where do you want to see, see improvement from that staff between uh, who may be back and, and where things go with, uh, with Nebraska's pitching? Yeah, um, you, you talked about Povich there. Like, what, the one thing he did for us was, was set the tone pretty much every weekend on how we were kind of attack the strike zone and different pitches. And what he did well was control the running game. And so he shut the running game down for a lot of teams. And what you saw is I think we only had 29 stolen bases against us this year, which was pretty low. But I think that's a lot to do with, with Povich picking some guys off and then Griffin and, and Luke throwing some guys out early on in those series. And nobody really tried it as much anymore at the end. So um, that was a very important. But you know, the biggest thing for me is making sure guys get into the proper roles that we feel like would best benefit them. Um, you know, we started Buns early on in the year and got him to the bullpen um, a little bit after those four-game weekends were, were done. And um, I think his persona kind of really fit hit for him in the bullpen there, um, <laughs> which you've seen that a little bit there with a little bit of the amped-up stuff. But that's who he was. And, um, you know, let it play, and you know, that gets him through some of that stuff. But, you know, there's going to be a lot, a lot of things that we have to probably replace at the end of the year. But I want to see guys take that next step of – challenging for starting rotation spots on the weekend and and then just the biggest thing is you know finding those gaps to get to the end of the ball game so um you know like i said our, our goal first and foremost has always been to lead lead the con- conference and the least amount of walks we did that and i would for me personally i would like to continue that trend um and uh and see where it goes from there but you know i, I was pleased i was very pleased with how we competed how we went about our business majority of the time and um, you know, it kind of showed with us being able to get on the mound and compete. Jeff Christie, Husker assistant with us, Hale Varsity Radio. Remarkable season for Nebraska baseball. Last thought, Coach. Uh, I know it's been a busy time in recruiting. Uh, in-state talents uh, always been fantastic. I think back to, to covering the the last CWS team with uh, the Staples. You were a part of it. Obviously, a Lincoln kid with Alex. Uh, of course, Jabba, Johnny Dorn. I mean, there, there's a number of in-state mm-hmm. kids that have made their impact uh, with Husker baseball. But speak to to just the, the the state talent that you're able to observe without obviously getting specific, but just you know the, the talent here in state and also around the region where you guys have done a really nice job of focusing when it comes to recruiting. Yeah, I mean, when we first got the jobs here, you know, we looked at the talent across the state and. You know, it was probably as high as it's ever been in that 21 class, and um, that was made one of our priorities to do that. And it's still going to be a priority for us in the state. And, um, the, the reason is for, you know, guys are developing quicker. Um, you know, they're still able to play multiple sports, but there's a lot, there's a lot of good coaches out there in high school and, um, and over the summer. So that's, that's gotten to the point where it's really good. And, you know, you're seeing guys – just develop a little bit quicker even at the high school level so it's always going to be a priority for us and once we feel like we've got um the guys that we want out of the state we'll still go around the regions and we've got connections in texas still we got guys coming in from canada with some of those connections as well um 
So that's kind of our that's kind of our goal. We'll start inward and we'll start working outward, but um, it always has to start here in the state. Coach Jeff Christie, coach, good to spend time with you again. Congratulations on what you and the the crew did, and we'll look forward to, to, to many more fun seasons. Thanks for the time. I appreciate it. You have a good one. The Hale Varsity Radio Saturday Morning Show, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Strap yourselves in. Here are your hosts, Chris Schmidt. Y'all don't even know he was a virgin until he's 28, and now, roll tide. And Mark Cranach. Time has come for someone to put his foot down. And that foot is me. Hail Varsity Radio, Saturday morning edition. Nice to have you alongside. Welcome to hour number two. Mark Cranach alongside Elijah Herbal. Our thanks to Jeff Christie, Nebraska uh, baseball assistant, who joined us on the Rewind in the last hour as uh, we kind of wrap up the the talk of uh, Will Bolts and company's extremely impressive run. Just a game away from advancing to the super regionals and uh, we're going to get into that and a little bit more with our next guest we are happy to have alongside mitch sherman from the athletic and mitch i was perusing your um twitter just to kind of see what you've been talking about lately and i noticed that we share a side hustle which is coaching of baseball which i assume you didn't put it on there but i assume that would mean like little league baseball is am i getting that right Absolutely. Yeah, my uh, 10-year-old, we're in a, another tournament. I feel like we've been doing these every weekend, but we got another one going on this weekend, and I was on the diamond last night. Great night. Great night for baseball, and uh, even better when you go 2-0. and So um, so I missed the Super Regional, the Arkansas NC State Super Regional, and only saw the score, the 21-2, to after I was done with uh, my coaching and um, I could, as I tweeted, I could only imagine uh, some of the commentary from Nebraska fans upon seeing that or upon watching that. So, okay, Mitch, now uh, I, I coach 8U baseball mm-hmm. right now. Oh, yeah, I've been there. I've been there. And, and I'm sure you've done that. You, you've That's probably been in your history, too. And we talked about this a little last week, but I just want to get your take. Look, 8 under and, and player pitch, like the best pitchers are not good. At that age, <laughs> what, well, why? Well, how okay. how is that a thing? And do you agree that that should be a thing that you put eight year olds on the mound? Well, I've seen seven year olds on the mound, so that's a thing now. When when just as recently as two years ago, when myself uh, I was coaching AU baseball, there was a team of seven year olds that we played, and I, and I would agree with you, Mark, that they should not have been on the mound, although. <laughs> I have heard stories since then of some seven-year-olds who uh, compete on the mound and do all right. I saw it both ways, for sure, in that season with the eight-year-olds, and I think that's why it's important probably to have them on the mound so they can learn to do it. By the end of the year, uh, on our team, and definitely on some teams that we played around the Omaha area, there were eight-year-olds who could deal on the mound. Um, I, you know, I saw eight-year-olds who... who uh, Absolutely, we're we're ready to pitch, and you know you got to start sometime. So you know when they're nine, it's like all right, now it's now it's getting to be too late. And then with of course with our ten year olds, it's uh, you know I, we we pitched great last night in two games. So it, there always seems like 
those moments where there's not light at the end of the tunnel and whatever these kids are doing when they're when they're playing baseball at this age, eight, nine, ten years old, and then someday they show up and you're like, who are these guys? Because all of a sudden, this really looks like a baseball team. You know, you're making outs, throwing them across the field. You know, we turned a couple double plays last night. You got guys hitting the ball wow. to the fence. So it happens fast. And in those moments where it seems like the eight-year-old shouldn't be pitching, just give them a couple weeks and somebody's going to go out there and throw a, you know, two-hitter or something. Yeah, and as, as soon as the eight-year-old team has found that, like, that one pitch that's awesome, then the coach is just going to treat them like Kevin Copps all weekend. It's just putting them back out there, back out <laughs> no, there, back out there. No, don't do that. I've played against uh, coaches like that, but our kids throw about two innings and, uh, and they're coming out. Yeah, yeah, Mitch Sherman with us from The Athletic. Uh, let's uh, put a bow on this Nebraska baseball season under Will Bolt. And, you know, I, storybook is probably too, it's too strong of a word. Um, but when you make the Will Bolt hire, these are the types of situations that you, that you envision. Right, where much like Dave Van Horn, very different. Not, I don't think as much overall talent on the team, um, but but really similar style and ahead of schedule. Do you think what Nebraska established this year, with you know a fair degree of upperclassmen that are probably not going to be on the roster next year, do you think what he established this year is the baseline, and moving forward as soon as next year? They continue to be in this conversation, and they continue to be knocking on the door of a super. Yeah, I don't see any reason why they won't, um, you know, unless the Big Ten continues to hold them back, which I think Will Bolt is smart enough and, and knew this when he took the job, that there are, there's a strategy that he has where he can overcome some of the difficulties and some of the, some of the, um, you know, the reasons why the Big Ten could be something that limits Nebraska baseball. There's a way around it. You know, Darren Erstad showed the kind of schedule that it's going to take to play to impress the selection committee when you get to May. Now, you, can't do, you couldn't do that in, in 2021, but this year was an extreme anomaly. Um, if, you know, I, was, I was around, I'm old enough to have been around for the beginning. It wasn't a, a long tenure, um, the entire thing, but for, for the beginning of the Dave Van Horn years, for all of the Dave Van Horn years. And if you were going to sum up his first two seasons in Lincoln with one phrase, I think it probably would have been ahead of schedule. You know, there's some other things you can pick. You could say they were ultra competitive. Um, you know, they were resilient. Uh, they were, they were surprising in the, in the results that they produced, but uh, so much about the start of Van Horn's time in Lincoln is reflected by what we've seen with Will Bull. Uh, the way that Nebraska in 1999 and Dave Van Horn's, second year in some ways like you had with bolt you could say it was like van horn's first full year because he didn't get an off season and people probably don't know this or don't remember this but generally when coaching changes occur in baseball it's this time of year it's right now you see arizona state lsu texas a&m tcu a lot of these major schools here in june in, with, with coaching searches going on when nebraska made a change before dave van horn's first year it happened in december so he had a couple of months, really not even that, to put together a roster and to, to figure out how that team was going to play and to get those guys to buy into him. So that first year, I mean, it's kind of a wash, much like 2020 was for Will Bolt when he lost most of the season to a pandemic. So year two, Van Horn, not a lot of expectations, goes out, wins the Big 12 tournament, and goes to a regional, wins a game in a regional. 
similar to the situation with Will Bolt in year two, where he goes to a regional and makes it considerably farther into that regional against better competition than what Van Horn did back in his second season in 1999. So I continue to see the similarities in the way that these two guys build their programs, and it's not a coincidence because Bolt was a part of that thing in 1999 and 2000. You know, he was just, he was a student um, in more ways than one. He was a student in in, in school. He was a student in, in baseball, and he was a student of of Van Horn as a coach. So if you continue to look at that blueprint for what Dave did, you go into year three, and that's the year that Nebraska made it to a super regional and came within one victory of getting to Omaha. And the following two years, uh, the Huskers made it to Omaha. So. Um, not to say that, that Bolt will continue on that exact same path, but I think the uh, the trajectory will be similar, and there will be a time in the near future when we're talking about Nebraska and a super regional and uh, knocking on the door to uh, to the College World Series. Now, Mitch, I don't want to get too ahead of myself here, but after watching one game of the Fayetteville Super Regional, that's why I don't want to get too ahead of myself here. I mean, it looks like Nebraska put up a much better fight against uh, Arkansas than NC State did or will. So, I mean... Is it absurd to say that, I mean, Will Bolt had this team as, as pretty close to a, a College World Series caliber team this year? I mean, that seems like it's it's actually a little bit ahead of what Van Horn had in year two. Yeah, in year two for Van Horn, they went to Columbus, Ohio for a regional. It was nothing. I was there. It was nothing like the environment that Nebraska saw last week in Fayetteville. Uh, the best team at that region was actually Mississippi State, so... Um, the, they had no fans or very few fans uh, in, in that regional. Nothing, you know, maybe maybe a few hundred, not eleven thousand. And Ohio State, it was it was a it was a, a decent environment. But uh, Nebraska beat, I believe, Bowling Green, and, and then and then when it got against a, an SEC team, it was it was it was outclassed. So exactly um, like like you said, a much different scenario. They the, the Nebraska in twenty twenty one was pretty far ahead of where it was in 99. And I think one thing you have to take into consideration when I talked about all the similarities between the two programs in Nebraska, you know, two decades ago and now, is that Bolt walked into this thing with more to work with than what Van Horn had back in, in 1998. So that's a factor. You know, he didn't have guys like Joe Acker and Jackson Hallmark and Spencer Schwellenbach and, and – uh, the rest of the veteran players who led this team, Dave Van Horn, did not have those guys. You know, he went out and recruited those kind of guys with Will Bull and with guys like Adam Stern and John Cole and Jamal Strong and Matt Hopper and Dan Johnson. Um, they, uh, you know, those are the guys who led Nebraska to the, 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 the College World Series, the Super Regional that Nebraska made in, in, in 2000. So, um, you know, for both, it's a little bit different scenario. Um, I mean, you could potentially see his team take maybe one step back and then two steps forward, um, you know, before it, it, it takes that next step. But I do think that with guys like Bryce Matthews and Max Anderson and some of the young pitching, and certainly with the recruiting class that, that his staff has put together in this, in this last several months, um, they're on track. You know, they're on track not to have to take much of a step back. And if you're hurting a little bit because you lose some of those great leaders that Nebraska had as seniors this season, um, it's not going to take a ton of time for the, the younger guys to step up and then for the recruits to fill the roles um, as really talented players. You know, some of that's going to depend, too, on which of these recruits decide to come to campus. I mean, there's one here um, down, this, down, the, down the highway from me uh, right now in Elkhorn 
uh, who is is potentially going to be looking at a lot of money uh, next month. That's true, Christo. So his presence on the roster next year can loom very large. Um, and, you know, one, one guy in baseball, one guy like that, can make the difference between a team getting out of a regional and, you know, continuing to, uh, to fall, it, it fall short in that round. Well, and especially, you know, there's talk that Cade Povich could, could leave, and so the, that Drew Christo situation mm-hmm. definitely looms large, as, as you mentioned. If you had to guess right now, I, I lean more towards him coming than him not coming. Um, and if he does, do, does he vault immediately into the weekend rotation? Well, I don't know him and haven't talked to him. I know some people who, who, who do know him and, and, you know, I've had some conversations and I think the thing that I can say confidently is that Drew Christo really wants to play Nebraska baseball. It's not a thing where he signed with a college with the expectation that he would then move on to the, the professional game if a good offer came. I think his full intention is to be a college player. And if he gets drafted in a place and offered the, the kind of money this summer that makes that, you know, that dream impossible, like it's not impossible, but, but just, you know, unrealistic to, uh, to turn down, um, then, then, yeah, I mean, he, there's, an op- there's a chance that he's going to move on. He's, he, he's going to sign that contract. But I do think that he really wants to be in Lincoln. And he doesn't, doesn't hurt to have a dad who played quarterback for Nebraska. Um, so I, I can see it happening. I can see it going either way. And, it's, it's, you know, I can't get inside the heads of these major league executives and know who likes Drew and, you know, what kind of money they're going to put on the table for him. And there's a huge difference between going in the – first or second round, which, you know, I don't think is super likely, but, um, and, and then like the fifth or sixth round, um, you know, and sometimes kids who get drafted in the fifth or sixth round get offered first or second round money. So there's a lot of variables there. And if he does come to Lincoln, um, yeah, I just think it's a short, it's a, it's a short transition for him to get into that weekend rotation with the, the, um, the pitching talent that he has, um, there, there's, it's not likely that he's going to be out of that spot for long. You know, you know, as a freshman, maybe you bring him along and you're going to have midweek games next week, non-conference games. You throw him into some of those situations, but I, I, I think it would be a very short time before he's part of that weekend rotation. And, and you know, depending on what Povich does and what other, other decisions are made, um, you know, he, he can be a Friday night guy for you pretty quick early in his career. Mitch Sherman from The Athletic joining us on Hale Varsity Radio. Um, earlier you mentioned Max Anderson, Bryce Matthews, some super freshmen that you know started a majority of their games, obviously. I want to zero in on Max Anderson and get your take on, on him. Um, mm-hmm. You know, There's very few players that come in their first year and really establish themselves as a, as a preeminent type hitter. The thing that interests me most about him, and I just want to get your take on this, is he physically... He's, he's naturally kind of got the stocky build, but he mm-hmm. doesn't strike me as a guy that's in incredible shape yet, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And, I, and mm-hmm. I think as he, I, I think his ceiling, mm-hmm. I, look, Alex Gordon's ceiling I thought was established mm-hmm. from day one, right? And it, it was a high ceiling, and the dude just produced his entire time in Nebraska. Ryan Bolt's kind of another one, maybe not quite as high of numbers, but I, but I feel like Max Anderson is honestly just getting started, and his floor is already very high. Do you see it the same way that this is a guy that could significantly improve, even though he's already at a pretty elite level? 
Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I think, you know, as an 18 or 19-year-old, it's impossible to understand how to take the game seriously enough in every single way, like um, in what you're doing almost 24 hours a day. I'm sure that, that, you know, Max Anderson doesn't get to the level that he's at without putting a ton of work and time into his baseball. But there's always another level that you can go to. And when you move from high school to college, it's you know natural to seek that out. And I'm sure he has. But I, I agree. I think there's more. Um, it would be great for Max Anderson, if he hasn't already done, to have a conversation with Alex Gordon because they had similar freshman years. You know, they play the same position, both lo- local kids uh, from Nebraska high schools. And, you know, I don't – necessarily think that you know max is on a track to be the number two pick in the draft two years down the road but he's got um you know some things about him that when you look when you watch him play it's 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 reminiscent of alex gordon and alex gordon wasn't the alex gordon that we saw in kansas city the entire time that he was at nebraska you know it took him it took him some adjustment to go from Lincoln Southeast to Nebraska and then to finally come to the realization that he needed to treat his body the way that he did, the way that, the way that he did to allow himself to become a major league standout. So um, I, I think some of that stuff is, is still to come with Max Anderson. And the, the more he works at that, the more he works at everything, his, his physical shape, um, you know, the art of hitting um, continues to work at his defense. Um, the, 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 then the ceiling goes up. But he, he has all-American potential, I would say. You know, he's the kind of guy who next year and in the 2023 season can, can be among the very best players in the Big Ten and, you know, getting recognition nationally. So that's you know, that's, that's fantastic for Nebraska to, to have that kind of a guy who can be, um, you know, an Alex Gordon-like player in college. And, you know, we'll see what his, what his uh, potential is for the next level, but there's at least two years left for him at Nebraska. So, um, you know, soak that up. If you're, if you're Will Bull, get everything you can out of it. There's a lot there. Talking with Mitch Sherman here on a Saturday morning edition of Hale Varsity Radio. And Mitch, we talked a lot of baseball Tuesday, and we've talked a lot of baseball today, as we should. But before we let you get out of here, I need to get your take on college football playoff expansion to 12 teams. I think it's good for college football, or you think it's bad for college football? It's kind of the, the two different routes you can go. Yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I think it's good. I don't, I don't see any valid argument for the opposite. Like, you're going to you're, – you're, you're opening the door to so many more teams. I and mean, we've seen, we've seen the playoffs as it's worked over the past several seasons. And, you know, it's four or five teams who dominate this thing, four or five, six teams. And if, if the playoffs, as it's, as it's been proposed, the new one with 12 teams um, were, were put into play, you know, for the, for the 10 previous seasons, uh, you know, put this thing retroactively, apply it to the, to the rankings at the end of the regular season, you're going to have 40-some teams that would have had a chance to participate in the college football playoff. And that right there, that's basically all I need to know. Um, that 40 teams over the course of a decade or 40 plus teams over the course of a decade are going to have an opportunity to compete for a national championship. It's always been the most frustrating thing about college football that only a select amount of teams are able to compete for a national championship. And you don't have the ability for a Cinderella, um, an underdog story really to develop in, in almost any season. Um, 
and now that will be there when this when this college football playoff is implemented. If a team like a UCF in 2017 jumps up and emerges, and there are plenty of other examples at the Group of Five level, you know, Iowa State in 2020, if that team emerges in the way that it did, Indiana last year emerges the way that it did. Those teams are going to have a chance to play for it all at the end of the season. You know, Iowa in 2015, going 12 and one, had no margin for error and loses a tight game in the Big Ten Championship at the end of the season, and, and there goes any any hope at all of a national title. Should that really be the case? It's not the case in any other sport. So why is it in college football that one mistake often costs you an opportunity to win the win the biggest game? And, you know, let these teams decide it on the field. Um, you know, I, it, it's, it's, I don't know that the, you can look at the model and say everything is perfect about it. I don't know that will ever be the case, but I love the idea of 12 teams competing and, and, uh, and, and, and a lot. I like a lot about what's been drawn up with this. Thing. Hey, Mitch, uh, quickly with Nebraska, I, I think a relatively quiet offseason in terms of what you hear out of North Stadium. There's been plenty of news with transfers and recruits and all that, but um, kind of a low profile. I don't think there have been a ton of coaching appearances or, or discussions with the media here in the offseason. Um, read anything into that? Do you think it's... Do you think it's the program under Frost, um, you know, just making the conscious decision to kind of talk less and um, and really zero in on, on what they want to be uh, offensively? Do you think those things are related at all? Um, yeah, I mean, I think Nebraska has planned through the, the offseason. And, and, you know, last year was different because it was such an un- unusual offseason season. Um, but that was definitely the plan going into the the 2020 offseason was to keep a low profile and and even in 19 you know coming off of a a strong year a strong finish to the 2018 season where Nebraska was was winners in four of its last six games and in Frost's first year and you know it was kind of the media darling of that of that 2019 offseason even then you know there wasn't a lot of talking that went on in in the the spring and summer outside of spring football so i think that's just kind of Frost's MO in the in the off season is to keep it in house and you know not be be out there talking a ton, um, and and you know that ex- that definitely extends into this year and I think it's even more prevalent when when you you had the struggles that Nebraska did a, a year ago you know winning just three games and you know there's there's not a lot to say it's 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 for the fans I think the demand is you know the the what what Nebraska fans want is not to hear from the coaches and hear them talk about how they've improved I mean sure during spring ball that's 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 all good. What they what they want is to see it, and that can only happen in in late August and into September and the rest of the fall. So you know we're going to hear from these guys next week. Um, they're all going to be out on the road at the Big Red Blitz, and that's good for those communities that they're going to. And there's going to be news, you know, with with everybody on the staff, you know, including Zach Duvall, who I don't think has talked publicly <laughs> to the media in in three plus years of being in Lincoln. You know, he's gonna he's gonna have some things to say next week. So that's. That'll be interesting, but but uh, yeah. After that, they're going to go back into the into the uh, offices and continue their work and recruiting in June, and then roll into July. And we'll hear again from from Scott Frost and a few players on July 22nd or 23rd at, at Big Ten Media Days, and then you know the season starts a week later or the preseason practice does. So uh, next week next week maybe your last chance until the, the end of July to hear much much of anything from uh, from this program. Mitch Sherman from the Athletic. Uh, Mitch, really appreciate your time and uh, and good luck the rest of the way with your with your baseball team. Just you know, maybe keep the kids away from the curveballs and the sliders. Um, 
you know, at this age, right? I mean, hey, keep him away from the swimming pool on days they play. That's that's the conversation. We don't we don't even talk about about uh, breaking pitches. It's an energy zone. Same, yeah, right. Same to you. Same to you with your AU team. Good luck. <laughs> All right. Appreciate you, Mitch. Thank you very much. All right. Uh, there's Mitch Sherman from the uh, from the Athletic as we you know deep dive into baseball and touch a little bit on football. And we're going to do that same exact thing, but with a different guy. With Gary Sharp, the Iron Horse, joins us next. Hail Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Glad to have you back. Yes, sir. You heard me right. Here are the guys, Schmidt and Cranach. Well, Hector, here's the game plan. We're going to bring us two absolute martinis. You know how I like them straight up. And then precisely seven and one half minutes after that, you're going to bring us two more. Then two more after that every five minutes until one of us passes out. Excellent strategy, sir. Hail Varsity Radio, Saturday morning edition rolls on. No Chris Schmidt today. He's uh, doing baseball things with his boy, um, Elijah Herbal, sitting in at the controls and hosting. He's a utility guy. I mean, Gary Sharp, our next guest, um, I know he has a history of being at the dial. Um, we all do, right? When you start in the radio business, is what you have to do. You have to, you have to be behind the dials, but to produce your own show while co-hosting Gary. I, you don't even do that. I mean, I think Elijah is kind of in an elite category here. What do you think? Uh, it's very impressive and it's not easy for well inside uh, baseball here. Uh, but when I uh, used to do sports nightly in the origination of sports nightly, I ran my own board, uh, hosted the show solo and was a producer. So I appreciate oh. everything Elijah and everybody else is doing on that side of the glass. Yeah, it's not easy. It's not easy, and we're we're blessed to be in in Elijah's presence. Somebody that's that uh, multi talented. Um, Gary, let's put a bow on the season, on the Nebraska baseball season, and the Arkansas regional. I mean, what drama, right? Like, just an excellent, excellent series for Nebraska. Um, you know, fell things fell apart in the eighth. Strike zone had a lot to do with that. I look. Arkansas is a better team than Nebraska. I think that's clear. It seemed like every single player that came to the plate had 13 home runs on the year. Um, but the strike zone was like a real, like that's not just being Nebraska fan and Nebraska bias. Like that strike zone was pretty ridiculous in the eighth. Do you, do you agree with that? Well, I'm going to tell you that I think it was ridiculous all weekend, except maybe for Sunday. Um, my, you know, I think one thing we have to be careful about is with the whole pitch tracking and that technology, when it comes to college baseball, they are not using the same system that Major League Baseball uses. And depending on where your camera angle is to set up that technology, it can throw you off. It can give you a different, different look. So I don't really go off of that. What I go off of is the reaction of the catchers. And you saw in that game on Monday night, and I'm not here to complain about the, the, the umpiring, the balls and strikes, because you still have to throw it in the strike zone, um, is if the pitch, a pitch that is called for a strike in the first inning better well be called for a strike in the eighth inning, regardless if the bases are empty or the bases are full. That's my biggest beef. And I think that's what happened is things that were being called in the first inning were not being called in the eighth. And then you got a guy like Kevin Cobbs who he pitches around the plate. And I know this, Elijah umpires. If, uh, if an umpire is calling balls and strikes for a pitcher that is consistent and they're around the plate, they're going to get the benefit of the doubt. Nebraska's guys were not around the plate, so even if they were just a half inch off the outside of the plate, they were not getting a break. And it just kind of, you know, it, it, it rolled downhill and it eventually ended up with you groove a pitch and it ends up in the pig pen and the game is over. 
Yeah, I think I mentioned this on, on Tuesday. There's got to be a couple factors that goes into it. A, Arkansas is one of the better catchers in the nation. He was doing a great job framing up his pitches. Uh, as an umpire, you know whenever Kevin Copps is on the mound, you're looking and going, well, this is one of the best pitchers in the country. If he's going to be hitting his spot, I'm assuming that's exactly where he wants to pitch. Uh, and then the third factor is the fans. Like You can't discount that. That I mean, as an umpire, it feels a lot better whenever you make your call and all the fans cheer, uh, even though that's supposed to be well, off the table. So Those are all good points, and I agree with you. And I think you mentioned one of the biggest things that I'm noticing. Now that we're watching more college baseball, last weekend, this weekend, and the upcoming College World Series is catchers are better at framing pitches. And not necessarily saying, oh, they do a great job of framing the pitch to put it in the strike zone. Guys are catching the ball outside of the strike zone and just subtly moving it back in, and they're getting that strike. That's on the umpire. That's bad positioning on you that you can't see where that ball crossed the plate. But as long as they're going to continue to call strikes that are framed really well, catchers are going to do that all across the country. And that's what Arkansas's catchers do. Opitz is fantastic at that. He was great at framing pitches. Even Nebraska's catchers all season long did a really good job at framing pitches where during the course of a game, you're going to get your pitcher four, five, six, seven, maybe eight additional strikes, and that's exactly what Arkansas was able to do. Gary Sharp with this Hale Varsity Radio as we talk Nebraska baseball. All right, it doesn't take a professional lip reader <laughs> to see what Cam Wynn and Jake Buns <laughs> were saying on the mound uh, during that eighth inning. I mean, they were – MFing the batters, directly challenging them. Uh, I hadn't seen anything like that uh, all year, R- really from any team. <laughs> I was just, do you, now you like the competitiveness, but at the same time, was that a sign of the team is just not quite mature enough yet? And out of the bullpen, especially those couple guys, maybe pressing a little bit, maybe playing a little bit outside their game. Did you notice that? And what is your take on it? Well, let's go, let's go back a few years ago. You remember, and I wish I could remember the, the name off the top of my head, hit a home run and kind of showboated out of the box, and Erstad got all over him. Well, let's, let's fast forward to 2021. I think cocky baseball is the best baseball. And you see in college baseball when you're caught up in the atmosphere, and that was an incredible atmosphere uh, in Fayetteville for that regional, you get caught up in the emotion. And Nebraska plays with a lot of emotion. But what I like about Nebraska is – Guys are talking to hitters. Guys are stomping on home plate. Guys are giving it to the left field uh, stands while they're giving it back at them. But the one thing I do like about Nebraska, and they are a team of emotion, and their head coach lets them play with that, and he will, he will step in when it's too much, is when you're playing cocky baseball and the other team gets cocky on you, you don't all of a sudden lose your mind. You, you understand, if we're going to be cocky, they have every right to be cocky. So after Cam Wynn is you know, staring down Robert Moore and, saying stuff to him, and Moore hits the home run, and he rounds first base, he's saying something back to the bound. Nebraska doesn't lose their mind, and the next guy gets plunked. So I'm okay with that. I think this is a team that has a personality, plays with a lot of motion, and actually throughout a lot of the year, they did the same thing. They had a series with Rutgers where there was a lot of back and forth going on, and even in the Michigan series, Nebraska is just showing they're not going to back down. And there was, you know, they were the ideal team, the makeup to go into Fayetteville, with that crowd and be able to handle everything that was thrown at him. Gary, do you have any reaction to what happened to NC State last night in Fayetteville and how it relates to Nebraska's season this year? Do you think Nebraska was, I mean, can you look into that game and say, well, Nebraska's better than NC State because they played Arkansas closer? Is, is that a, a fair assumption to be able to make? All you guys have to know, and I'm not saying you two in particular because you already know, is 
Dave Van Horn was not happy that Nebraska got sent to their regional because he knows how good Nebraska was. And he's thinking, you know what? We worked all year to get the national number one seed, and we got Nebraska as a two-seed coming to our place. Now, Arkansas needs to send Nebraska a thank-you note because Nebraska made Arkansas play really, really well and survive and look nothing like they had looked during the SEC team season. Arkansas looked tight. Nebraska played really well, and Nebraska challenged them. That's the thing. Arkansas, they try and intimidate you. Not only their talent on the field, but that atmosphere. Nebraska walked in there and said, we're not going to be, we're not going to be, you're not going to intimidate us. We're here to play baseball. We're here to move on to the next round. We're not whining about playing here. We just want to play. We want to play the best. And they got the best. Arkansas, I think, got the best uh, out of them. And it showed that they were tight. They were playing a really good team. And then they play North Carolina State, and they drove them. They throw for three touchdown passes yesterday. I think they need to send Nebraska a thank you. But I also think it says Nebraska, like most of the national guys are saying, that cover college baseball on a daily basis, Nebraska was underseeded. Nebraska should have never been in Fayetteville because, guys, at the end of the day, those three games between those two teams where it brought being a Husker fan fun again, where you enjoyed it, you didn't enjoy the outcome, but you enjoyed the experience, that was a super regional. Yeah, Gary Sharp with us on Hale Varsity Radio. Um, quick moment on, on Kevin Copps. I mean, wow. It, Look, physically, the guy is super. He looks a little more like a strong safety. You just don't see a lot of, of pitchers with that kind of build to begin with. I mean, he's he's an exceptionally uh, talented and conditioned athlete, let alone being a good pitcher that has absolutely nasty stuff. And look, I, it feels like if Kevin Copps doesn't exist or if he's not able to put in a superhuman what do you throw 180 pitches over the weekend something like 185. that. 185 yeah i mean if he doesn't exist i, I think nebraska's in the supers right now do you agree with that like i i think it took an exceptional talent like that who i think will probably make an appearance in the big leagues next year just skip right through all the developmental leagues and, and the minor leagues and end up on a roster at some point next year um would you agree with that 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 it was it really took a superhuman kind of generational type talent to keep Nebraska down. Absolutely. He's a great luxury to have for Dave Van Horn. 185 pitches, doesn't walk anybody, gives up one run, and just dominated. I mean, I mean, Monday night, Arkansas was very afraid of the first four or five innings because they knew if Nebraska got momentum, they would feel better when the game got later and then the pressure would shift back to Nebraska. And so that's why Dave Van Horn went to cops early in that game. But that was a superhuman effort. I mean, he's somebody who, with the College World Series schedule spread out like it is, he could pitch every game here in Omaha. And he's somebody that, because of that, you can ride him, and we've seen it before, you can ride them to a national championship. But he was, he was dominant. You know, I know people are saying, well, boy, overused him. He's built a little bit different. They built him for his different roles, whether to pitch in middle relief or or to close. I mean, here's a guy that's got 12 wins and 11 saves. How many times do you see that? Plus, the one thing that happened, on, especially on Monday night, guys, he didn't have to throw fastballs. You know, he was throwing his cutter, and Nebraska was just flailing away at it because it looks great coming at you, and then it just falls off the table. So he didn't have to throw a lot of fastballs, and he doesn't have a lot of torque on the arm compared to, like, a Shane Comine who, who would throw a lot of pitches. You know, cops, as you were saying, Mark, is built like that. So he can withstand an enormous amount of pitches. 
I think that was a little extreme. And they're also probably going to catch a break because he didn't have to pitch yesterday. He may not have to pitch today. It just, it just goes back. That weekend in Fayetteville last weekend, that was a super regional weekend. Not this weekend with North Carolina State and Arkansas. Gary Sharp's with us on the Saturday morning edition of Hale Varsity Radio. And, and Gary, last segment, we were talking with Mitch Sherman a little bit about Drew Christo. Um, and, and have you got a chance to see Drew Christo play at all during his time in high school? Um, and just as a follow-up to that, do you think he could be that guy for Nebraska, or do you think that the, uh, the majors and, and professional baseball is what's next for him? Well, first of all, you know, people, I, I think Mark knows his dad pretty well, uh, Monty. And, and, you know, Husker fans know him from playing football at Nebraska. Uh, great family. Drew is a fantastic athlete. I've seen him play in all three sports. He won a state championship at Elkhorn in football, got to the state uh, tournament in basketball, and then baseball got to the state tournament as well. You go and watch him pitch, and there's going to be you know hordes of Major League Baseball scouts there. They're going to pull up the radar gun. Guys, at his size, the ball just explodes out of his hand. It's 94-95. He's got a good curveball as well. He's got really good command. I think he's also got a really good presence for somebody that's just a senior in high school. His commitment to Nebraska, he really wants to go to Nebraska, guys. He likes Will Bolton. He likes the staff. He likes the idea of staying home and playing at the University of Nebraska. Now, with, with that said, he's also got, you know, there's going to be a major league team that's going to go, well, let's see if we can get you away from Nebraska. He is listed as a high prospect, but he's also somebody that has a little tag next to his name that says difficult to sign because of his commitment to college. But that will be one or two major league teams that will say, We've got money, and we're going to draft him and then try and sign him. Um, so you have to watch that when the draft comes around in July. But I believe that he will go to Nebraska. And, guys, it wouldn't surprise me by the time you get to the Big Ten season. And I've gotten pushback on this, but I've seen enough of Big Ten baseball and aces and Drew Christo that he's your Friday night guy. And that's okay. When a guy is that ranked that highly and you are able to sign him and get him in your program, he's going to be a Friday night guy for you in your conference. And that's what I believe Drew Christo will be. Mm. Um, Gary Sharp with us on Hale Varsity Radio. Let's let's shift over to football quick. And I don't know why I didn't get a scholarship, because much like Danny Kalen out of Bellevue West, I also did not start a varsity football game. Um, and no scholarship ever came for me. But uh, it did for Danny Kalen, a uh, kid that's just left his sophomore year. Looks like he's going he's gonna to be at the controls for, uh, for that juggernaut at Bellevue West starting next year already has a Nebraska offer. I know you've covered Bellevue West a lot, and I know you've covered them probably in some mop-up duty, so you might be one of the few human beings that we can talk to that has seen him play, although you might have been in blowout material and not even paying attention because, you know, who cares about the backup quarterback when the team's up by 30? Do, do you have any recollection of, of watching him, and um, were you surprised that he has the offer despite literally never starting a varsity football game? Well, he, a couple of things here. One... He is one of two sophomores to be on that roster that have a Nebraska offer. Davon Hall is a wide receiver who got offered last year by Nebraska and Iowa. People have been talking about Danny Kalen since he was in eighth grade. Um, his, his body is going to get bigger. He's got a great presence in terms of, like, he walks onto a field and starts throwing, and you're like, wow, that looks like a quarterback. And he's also pretty – he'll put in the work. He has done a lot of stuff outside of his time with Mike Huffman and that crew at Bellevue West in trying to get as a better as a quarterback. Now, there are no guarantees that he's going to be the starter this year. They have a returning starter from last year who was a transfer from Bellevue East that was pretty good. But Kalen's going to be good. 
And I think in Nebraska's offer, it was reactionary. You know, Nebraska didn't really have him firmly on the radar because the guy had not, you know, not not start a varsity game. Um, But he is worth the offer and he's worth the watch. And especially in that offense, where I think you get a true picture of how good a quarterback is. I mean, look at Nate Glantz, guys, won a state championship at Bell West at quarterback. He went to Iowa Western. He was just at Penn State this week. He was visiting. I mean, he's, he's a Bell West quarterback that in that offense, he was able to showcase what he can do, and Kalen will be the same way. So I think his, his attention will go up as he plays more and he gets out and about. But it's kind of nice here in the Metro. you got a 23 quarterback at Gretna named Zach Flores, whose stock is rising. And you've got a quarterback in the 24 class in the Metro whose stock is rising. So it's a long way down the line. But I have seen him play. He's got a, he, he, you know, for a young kid, you can see it because he can throw. He can make the throws to the numbers, and it's a pretty strong arm. And I know that he is constantly working on his craft. So he's somebody that will get bigger and more experienced. And I think those offers from Florida State and Nebraska, there's going to be more like those kind of offers that will come in the next two years. Gary Sharps with us here on the Saturday morning edition of Hale Varsity Radio. And, Gary, we only got about 90 seconds left here, so i got to get your quick reaction to expansion to a 12-team college football playoff. Uh, I'm a fan of eight. I think we're, I mean, we're doing it because of money. Does it make the product better? The only thing I like right now about it is that the campus sites are in play for the Fibers 12 games. But why not give the four top teams that get the buy? Why don't they get a campus game? Oh, that's right, money. We got to take care of the Bulls. Um, will it make the product better? Will we have more upsets? Will we have more blowouts? I don't know. I was a fan of four. If you think about it, guys, there's really in the seven years of the playoffs just four games that were considered great games. We have a lot of blowouts. We might have a Cinderella one time, but are they going to win the next round? I'm not going to complain about more football. But I like good football, and I don't know that we're going to get more good football than we get right now with the four. Gary Sharp, um, uh, the Iron Horse, on uh, the weekend edition of Hale Varsity Radio. Gary, really appreciate your time again, sir, and uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Hey, thanks, boys. All right, Gary. There he goes, Gary Sharp. Yeah, look, it could be five extra games past the regular season for some of these 12 teams. Think about if you make it to a conference championship game and then have to battle your way all the way to the national championship that's literally five more games i mean I, I know some of these some of these top teams are, are really deep but 17 games on any 21 year old 20 year old is ah that's that's a lot it's a lot it's a lot and the likelihood that they would break through is pretty low right just because of that reason i mean you know by the time you get to that time of the year you've already got attrition issues with injuries and everything you know walking wounded um but interesting. It's good. Opens the door. Um, you know, Nebraska for it all, 2024. You heard it here. What do you think? Huh? I, I, I'm not, not sure about that at all, actually. Luke McCaffrey transfers back, maybe. You know, he goes Nebraska to Louisville, and then maybe he's going to go to Rice or Northern Colorado. We, we don't really know. Maybe he comes back by then. Yeah, but then he's playing receiver by then. But finally. You know, that's what he should be doing. All right. um, Our thanks to Jeff Christie. Our thanks to Mitch Sherman. Our thanks to Gary Sharp. And our thanks to Elijah Herbal and Elijah Herbal pulling double duty today. Appreciate you, sir. Yeah, I had a good time, obviously. Now now I'm off to Utah, Nebraska to umpire some baseball. Yeah, go for it. All right. Make sure your balls and strikes are called loudly. Hail Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. We'll talk to you next weekend.